And if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 21. Matthew 21, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And um, we're continuing our study in Matthew, which is one of the four accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Matthew's gospel focused specifically on Jesus as king and on his kingdom, as we will see today. Last week, we finished up the last of Jesus's public teaching outside of Jerusalem, which focused on themes of divorce, children, wealth, Jesus's kingdom, and healing. Starting with today, we'll be in Passion Week, which is the last week of Jesus's life before heading to the cross and dying for our sins. And if you're a reader like me, or I was a reader before I had kids, um, I love reading fiction especially, you will find that it's usually hard to get into a book in the beginning because they're introducing lots of characters and themes and ideas. However, if you can get your way past that, you can find the actual plot to be quite engaging. And then when you get to near the end of the book, you reach the climax where the main characters reach his or her main point of conflict, and then comes the final resolution. And in Matthew's gospel, we are in the climax where Jesus's life and mission is coming to its highest point and his conflict with the relig religious leaders is accelerating, eventually leading to their decision to execute him. Therefore, we will see, as in all great stories, that the narrative here will begin to slow down. Matthew goes from talking about months and years during Jesus's ministry to days and hours as he makes his final journey into Jerusalem and toward the cross. And let's read the passage here. 21, starting in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, where Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them, put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And I titled my sermon, The Triumphant King. And there are three points I want to draw out of this text, but perhaps an illustration will help. Um, you know, I was really surprised uh, about a year ago, a little more a year than a year ago in the summertime when they initially started the curfew leading to the lockdown um, or any of the other government directives that happened starting in the summer because of COVID, there was no resistance. There was no protest. There was no outcry, um, which, which is 
I guess to me in my culture, that's very unusual because in the U.S., people there was lots of protests when that started happening in, in America. And the tendency, at least for me and a lot of people in America, is not to trust the government because the thought is they don't have the best interests of the citizens at heart. However, in Kuwait, the government gives citizens a lot. It gives them houses to live in, money for marriage, money for kids, easy government jobs, extra money for working in a private sector, basic immunity from being fired. I heard a story of one guy who had a job for 10 years and never showed up before he finally lost his job. Um, so I can see why they comply with the government and do not talk back much or challenge the emir because the king has, has the power to make their lives so much better. And the government asks so much of the citizens these last year and have changed the rules so much, but they comply willingly, maybe even gladly. I don't know exactly. And I think that's a little bit of what, what Jesus's ministry is like here. Jesus is a so far better king and he has a far better kingdom. And the first principle I want to draw out is that Jesus is a demanding king. Um, you see that Jesus was ministering to people east of Jordan and was heading back west to Jerusalem via Bethphage and the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives. And he basically tells the disciples to go into some random village and find a donkey with its child when they entered. The disciples received no explanation as to why they had to go to this place to get this donkey, mother and child. They also likely had no money if there was a problem or an issue they had to run into. The only thing Jesus said was what to say if they got into trouble, which the Lord needs them. So they didn't know when or where they would find this donkey or cult. They didn't know why they were doing this. And they didn't know what kind of consequence there would be. And what's incredible in this story is that they, they obey without question, no matter how bizarre this quest must have sounded to them. They didn't have any understanding of what was being asked of them, but they just did it. There was no complaining, no talking back, no fighting, no even no questions at all. They just obeyed. And I think this can be true of us today. You know, for those of us who are following Jesus, um, Jesus does not always ask us to go along with the crowd, to do what everyone else is doing. Jesus wants us to follow him, which means to obey him. And that obedience will look strange to the world, much like it, prob it probably looks strange that Jesus was asking the disciples to do this strange thing. Because the world system is contrary to God's system. People in this world run after pleasure and power and possession in the relentless pursuit of yourself. And this is how we were. This is how I was before God saved me. Paul, <clears throat> writing to the church in Ephesus, says that we were, this is before we were Christians, we were following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. That's how we were. Following the power of the air, the spirit that now at work in the sons of disobedience, living in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and our minds. However, as Christians, we have turned from following the world 
and the devil and our sinful desires to following Jesus, which will look foolish to the world. We are called to take risks for the God in his kingdom. Jesus may call you to leave Kuwait when you're in the middle of a good job to help a family member back home, or he may call you to stay in Kuwait when you feel like all your friends have left. God, when God speaks to you, sometimes what he says does not always lead to a feeling of peace or is not always uh, the sort of your best life now decision. Sometimes the decision can be hard or difficult or painful or challenging. Think about two chapters ago we read last week. Think about what he told the rich young man we discussed in the previous two chapters. This man was a follower of Jesus and he kept the Jewish commandments. He was not a bad guy. He was a typical churchgoer. However, however, Jesus told him to sell everything he had and give it to the poor and follow him. And let's not be mistaken. He has the right to ask any one of us to do the same or to give something else up. Following Jesus is the best decision we could ever make. But it will certainly cost us something and it could easily cost us everything. It could cost us dignity and pride like the disciples being asked to find this donkey. Or it could cost us our comforts. Or it could even cost us our lives as it did to many of these initial followers and in thousands over the centuries. Therefore, we need to remember that Jesus is a demanding king and he can demand anything he wants from us. So Jesus is a demanding king. We also need to remember that Jesus is a humble and unexpected king. The reason Jesus asked for this donkey and his child is to fulfill another prophecy about the Messiah, as Matthew has done throughout this book. The prophecy comes from the book of Zechariah, one of the last of the Old Testament prophets. After the people of God were taken out of their homeland to Babylon for 70 years because of their disobedience, God allowed some of them to return. But they found it to be much more difficult being under different rulers and authorities. In Zechariah, one of his jobs was to encourage them to rebuild the temple because he still had plans. God still had plans for his people and for the temple. Zechariah in his, in his book also gives several prophetic visions of the coming of the king of Israel. However, this verse they, that's used in verse five, it's unusual in its context. Most rulers and conquering kings ride on a horse. Yet this prophecy shows that the Messiah will be riding on a donkey and will be humble. Well, this makes sense to us because we can look back and see the humble guy that Jesus was looking at the rest of this chapter in Zechariah. You can see that this is a King who is wiping out enemies. He says verse things like this in the same chapter in Zechariah nine, saying that the King will cut off the pride of Philistia. I will take away its blood from its mouth and his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That sounds like much more like a ruling king than a king running on a donkey. So if this king is coming to destroy and bring judgment on Israel's enemies, why is he coming on a donkey? And why is Matthew using this scripture as one of the prophecies that Jesus is fulfilling? 
Or why is Jesus getting these two donkeys as a fulfillment of this particular prophecy rather than any number of the other texts from Zechariah or the other prophetic books in the Old Testament? The answer is that Jesus' coming to Jerusalem is not what the people are expected. The crowds, disciples, and even the 12 are expecting a king who is going to destroy the nations of Israel's enemies. We have to keep in mind that after the Jews were allowed to return to Palestine, they have been occupied by many groups, including the Persians, the Seleucids, the Greeks, and currently the Romans, which is the time that Jesus and his disciples were living in. That is to say, the Jews have been living under foreign rulers for nearly 600 years after the Babylonian captivity, and they are over it. They are done with that. And it's a difficult time. So they want a king. They're looking for a king. They are desperate for a king who's going to wipe out the Romans and establish an independent kingdom of Israel, like in the golden age of David and Solomon. And to be fair to them, living under them wasn't exactly easy. They were, which is unusual, allowed to worship Yahweh exclusively, as opposed to being forced to incorporate the pantheon of Greek gods, like the other nations the Romans conquered. But they were subjected to heavy taxation and no true autonomy, leading them to near slave-like conditions. And the Bible also confirms this sort of thinking from the disciples. If you remember from the book of Acts, after Jesus is raised from the dead and shows himself to the disciples and tells them about the coming of the Holy Spirit, what is the first and most important questions in the minds of the disciples? It's this, Lord Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, even after the disciples experienced the death and resurrection of Jesus, they are still thinking in terms of establishing a physical kingdom on earth. This is why Jesus in the previous chapter gave his third prediction about his death and resurrection, because he wants to make it crystal clear to the 12, even if they don't understand that his mission is not what they think it is. They think he is going to rid them of the Romans and establish a temporary physical Jewish kingdom. However, Jesus' true mission is to establish an eternal, spiritual, Jewish, and Gentile kingdom. An eternal, spiritual, Jewish, and Gentile kingdom. He is going to humbly receive the sentence of death by crucifixion for a crime that he didn't commit. And not only did he not commit this crime, he never sinned in his body or mind, being totally pure and righteous before God. His death would be a perfect sacrifice and would absorb God's punishment and wrath for all the evil that we have done in our bodies and in our minds. Therefore, everyone who believes in him, both Jew and Gentile, becomes a part of Jesus's kingdom and we will one day live forever. So Jesus rides a young donkey to show that he is not the king they are expecting. and He is a humble king. And this is true for us today. We often want an insta king. We want a Jesus who will bring healing right away or will rid us of our problems at work immediately or will instantly make us the people who he wants us to be. And sometimes he does that. Sometimes we pray and God brings that instantaneous healing answer or belief. But sometimes he does not. 
Sometimes he is doing something unexpected in us and using the pain and difficulty in our lives to bring about something beautiful and wonderful in us that we would not have gotten had we not endured what we may be going through. I did not expect to be outside of Kuwait for six months before being reunited with my family or spending so much of my summer at my in-laws, not being sure if I can enter Kuwait. I would not have chosen any of these things for myself, but it is teaching me, not completely, but somewhat, to learn to let go of my obsessive need for control and learn to trust God a little bit more because I do not control anything. And God is doing a thousand unexpected things in your life as well as we are in this period of difficulty and transition during COVID-19. It's like in that song, Waymaker, um, even when we don't see it, you are working, right? We don't see what God is doing when we're allowed to go through some of these difficult things, but God is doing things, things that we don't expect, things that are unusual, but he is working in us. And we also because he is riding on a young donkey, he is nearly at eye level with the crowd. So he is approachable. And people can talk to him. If he was riding on a horse, no one would be able to see him face to face. And that's where Jesus is now. He's on a donkey. He wants us to approach him face to face and to give your concerns and troubles to him. So he is, first, he's a demanding king, but he is also a humble and unexpected king. Finally, Jesus is a royal and true king. We see in the rest of this passage that the disciples put cloaks on the colt for him to sit on and the crowd spreads their cloaks on the road and they put down palm branches as well on the road. We also see people shouting praise, which is praise and adoration and honor, which is the meaning of the word Hosanna. And this is not the first time in history. And we have other sources from the Jewish historian Josephus and from uh, apocryphal apocryphal books like second maccabees um that this idea of singing and shouting praise and laying down palm branches was very typical and worthy for kings such as alexander the great and other dignitaries and military leaders so while the people misunderstand what jesus's mission is as a king they clearly recognize and see that he is a king there is so much shouting and singing that the whole city of Jerusalem is stirred up. And it says, you know, they want to know who it is. And they answer back, it is Jesus of Nazareth. And they can see that he is the royal and true king and the Messiah. Because when it, the phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that comes from Psalm 118, which is another prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. And it's one of the last of the praise psalms during the time of the Passover, which is the time that Jesus is arriving. So the crowds are aware of his kingship. They also call him um, the son of David, meaning that he is part of the lineage of David, the first and greatest king of independent Israel. And they are, they are implying that he is the one who is coming to restore what was given to God by, given to David by God. So we see that Matthew pits this idea of him being unexpected and humble by riding on a donkey with the crowd shouting praise to him as the son of David and laying down their cloaks and palm branches. Both are true. Jesus is humble and unexpected. 
because he did not come to restore the kingdom of Israel and destroy her enemies at that time. However, a time is coming when Jesus returns, when all of God's enemies will be utterly and finally destroyed, and there will be full restoration, not just of Israel, but of the entire earth, and we will live and reign with him forever. The other prophecies in Zechariah are also true about God routing and destroying his enemies along with the Messiah coming on a donkey. When I was in Nepal, I got up the second morning after we our first long day of hiking, and I was able to see the, the a big section of the Himalayan mountain range, including Everest. And somebody had to point out to me which it was, because they all looked about the same. They're just tiny mountains far away. And at that great distance, they all looked right next to each other. However, if you got closer, you would see that they are thousands of miles apart from each other. And this is some, sometimes how prophecy works. Zechariah and the Old Testament prophets communicated what God spoke to them, but some things were more near in time and others more distant. And they did not know when or how these things were going to take place. So the him running on a donkey took place during the time of Jesus and him coming to destroy his enemies and establish the eternal kingdom is going to take place at his second coming. So, therefore, Jesus, the Messiah, came humbly as a man, which many of the Old Testament prophecies predicted and would die in our place. However, he will come back again with a sword and a horse and will fully establish his eternal kingdom, which other prophecies also predict and all will be fulfilled. For us today, this means we need to live in hope. We are in the time between the times. We need to wait. I need to wait expectantly and hopefully for Jesus to come again. When he returns, we will be fully healed. We will no longer have issues with work or with our families, but we will live in perfect joy and harmony with God, the environment, and others. So we should wait for this. We should pray for this. We should should be motivated for this to happen. This should be the desire of our hearts, ladies and gentlemen. So in conclusion, we need to keep in mind that even though the Emir of Kuwait provides a lot of material benefits for his people, Jesus is the better and perfect king who provides us with a spiritual, eternal kingdom where there will be no sorrow, no pain, or no death. Jesus is a king who requires obedience and sacrifice. It may cost everything to follow him and be a part of his kingdom. Jesus is also an unexpected and humble king. He does not always give us what he wants, but he always gives us what he needs for our good. He is also not a king that is far away, but he is at eye level of the people and he's always reachable through prayer and desires a relationship with him. Finally, Jesus is a true king that we can be excited about and sing Hosanna in the highest to he who is coming in the name of the Lord. His coming kingdom is the most important thing we can look forward to him in human history. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you are coming back, that you are returning, that all the issues and all the problems in our lives and all the difficulty and all the struggle will one day be eliminated, will be wiped out, and we will live in joy and harmony 
with you forever and we will fulfill our destiny. We will have our best life then with you, Jesus. God, I pray that you'd give me a heart that hopes for that. My heart is very much set on the here and now. My heart is set on what's right in front of me because that is the way I just am programmed that way so many times. God, so I pray that you'd give me a heart that is set on eternity, that everything in this life will fade and that everything I do will, will pass away that is not for your kingdom. So God, I pray that you would help me, help us, help this family to set our eyes and our minds and our souls on you, Jesus that we would think about your kingdom, that you are a good king, you are a perfect king, and you're coming back with your kingdom. Even though it costs much to follow you, and you take us on unexpected paths, we know that you are coming again. We love you, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen.